Lock and Load. This is GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Georgia Carry's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. The leader in the fight to reclaim and expand our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Here's your host, Executive Director of GeorgiaCarry.org, Jerry Henry. Welcome to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour. Uh, here we are in downtown Atlanta on a Saturday morning. It's obvious that winter is coming. It's getting a little bit cooler, and we're supposed to have some fairly cold weather, I understand, by the end of the, of the uh, week. We've had a couple of things. I haven't been on here uh, the last couple of weeks because uh, of reruns, having some conflicts with me getting here and, uh, and the station closing down early, things of that nature. So uh, there's a couple of things we haven't talked about. Of course, Mary Margaret Oliver's come in trying to uh, ban more farms or more, uh, well, bump stocks and anything else around the farms that she's, as she's done in the past. And we're, uh, we know that's not going to go anywhere. It's just that she keeps bringing it up. We want to talk about it. We want to make sure that you don't uh, get too upset over some of the people that be raising all the red flags about how they're coming after your guns because that's certainly not happening in the, in this area, not at this time at any rate. Um, I've got a, a special guest today, a, a guy I met, uh, I believe it was three years ago out in, uh, in Arizona at uh, the... Uh, Gun Rights Policy Convention. It's a guy that I've uh, followed his writings and, and uh, his Facebook page, things of that nature, for quite some time. And it's, he's a very interesting guy. He's a, he's a young fella, and his name is uh, Jeff Knox. Jeff is uh, is the director of Firearms Coalition. And the Firearms Coalition, if you're not familiar with it, exists to support and defend the Second Amendment by providing support, advice, and legislative analysis to grassroots Second Amendment organizations and activists. Uh, it was founded in 1984 by Neil Knox, Jeff's father, and those of us with a little bit of, of gray in our hair may remember Neil. Uh, Neil was, uh, I believe he was the ex- executive director of the uh, NRA ILA for a while, and uh, there was a kind of a, a tussle going on with the NRA back in those days, and he was one of the guys that was was uh, involved in the fight. He's. Uh, you also might have seen him on a YouTube video explaining to you how the uh, all the antis back in the in the eighties and nineties were talking about how deadly these uh, AK forty seven rounds were, and he is the guy that did the the uh, video shooting watermelons with a an AK forty seven round with a thirty thirty a thirty out six. And uh, just explaining to you, which is a beautiful uh, example of the difference in the power of those firearms. Uh, and so he kind of just put that to bunk. He's, he's made other v- YouTubes as well. And, and like I said, if you've got any gray in your hair, you probably know who, he's t- who he is. And, and Jeff uh, was raised uh, in that environment of fighting for gun rights. Uh, and at least I believe he was. I know he had to be <laughs> he had to be around his father somewhat, and I'm pretty sure that some of it rubbed off on him because he kept on in his tracks after his father died a few years ago. Um, and uh, he's uh, he's just a, a real nice guy. I met him again, or I talked to him again in Dallas uh, this uh, in September when we were out for the GRPC, and uh, asked him if he would come on someday and talk to us and, and give us a little bit. So we're gonna. We're going to talk a little bit today about things that are going on in Washington, such as uh, some of the non 
Supreme Court decision, some of the gun bills that, that are on the, the floor up there and, and where we think they're going to go and, and just wherever the conversation leads us. So uh, good morning, Jeff, and welcome to the program. Good morning, Jerry. It's good to be here. And uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate the introduction. I'll tell you what, that video that Dad did, most people don't realize it. It's a terrible video, but uh, as, as video quality and, right. and presentation go today, but um, at the time, it was amazing cutting edge. Yes. He actually had to string an extension cord all the way from the house down to the range. <laughs> and um, we didn't have a video recorder, a camera. Uh, that was provided, and the cameraman duty was provided by Larry Pratt. Mm -hmm. So Larry came out to Dad's place in Virginia and uh, brought the camera and they set it all up, and, and Larry was the cameraman while Dad was was the uh, front man. And if you listen closely, you can hear kids playing in the background. That wasn't me. I was off in the Army or something mm -hmm. at that time. That was uh, uh, Larry's, I believe, his grandkids, but maybe it was some of his kids. But uh, it was it's quite a thing, and it's been out there for longer than YouTube has. Right. So. Uh, well, That's pretty neat. But yeah. Dad was, Dad was uh, instrumental. He was one of the top gun writers in the country, and he right. was instrumental in the uh, revolt at Cincinnati in 77. Then he was the executive director of NRA ILA for several years with Harlan Carter. And uh, he caused too many waves, and they bumped right. him out. And later he came back in, and he, he ended up as the— uh, first vice president in line for the presidency right. after Marion Hammer. But uh, again, he was making too many waves and, and upsetting too many people. And so they brought uh, brought in uh, a, a guy with a little bit of name recognition to try and bump him out of the chairs. And mm -hmm. that was Charlton Heston. Right. And uh, Heston beat him by four votes. And, wow. and uh, they managed to push dad out of uh, out of the chairs and and eventually just a couple of years later off the NRA board of directors. But mm. uh, well, I know he yeah, has so I know he has a long story history with the NRA and with with fighting for gun rights because I understand he started back in the '60s, if I'm not mistaken, writing oh, articles uh, for Guns and Ammo and. Uh, uh, a couple of the other magazines, and and uh, one of the things that I didn't mention that that uh, probably won't be of interest to anybody but me and you, but I found out also in Dallas this year that uh, you and I were born in the same state. Uh, you were born <laughs> out in uh, Abilene, I believe, around Abilene, yeah, uh, out absolutely. west, and I was born in North Central Texas, up in a little place called Leonard, Texas, and a year later moved to Bells. That's why I tell everybody I'm from Bells. It's just a kind of a hole in the road there, but it's. Uh, it's uh, everybody that knows me just about and been to any of our conventions know that uh, <laughs> that I'm from Bells, Texas, because it gets mentioned every once in a while. But uh, at any rate, it's it's uh, it's good to know that that uh, at least two people who were born in Texas went out and started fighting uh, for gun rights throughout the out the uh, at least in another state, another area. Yeah, well, and and Dad uh, always called himself a Texan. He was raised in in vernon texas right but he was actually born in oklahoma in right. rush springs oklahoma uh but uh, but we're our, our texas roots go go way back but i was raised in arizona for the most part mm -hmm. we moved up to 
Ohio, then Illinois, and then finally Arizona. That's where I started fifth grade and finished high school, Mm -hmm. and uh, where I finally came back home to a few years ago. I've been directing the Firearms Coalition for 13 years now, Mm -hmm. and uh, you say I'm a young guy, but uh, explain that to my grandkids. (laughs) Well, Uh, uh, youth is relative. It certainly is, and you're young to me, I can assure you. As a matter of fact, most of our listeners are young to me as well, but uh, it, it I can remember the day when I, I walked into an office and I was a kid. I was the youngest kid in an office, and then I turned around and it seemed like two months later, and all of a sudden I was the old man in the office, and it, it time flies when you're having fun. Absolutely, and we're definitely having fun these days. Um, big news, of course, that just broke was that uh, the, the House Judiciary Committee has passed out the uh, National Reciprocity Bill that will be going to the floor of the House, and it will pass. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and that's that's good, and I'm 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 happy for that. But I'm not thrilled and ecstatic because look at the Senate. Right. Um, the Senate is a very narrow Republican majority. Uh, we have a, a broader majority that claims to be pro-gun. Right. Because we have a number of Democrats that claim to be pro-gun rights. But the the reality is that Chuck Schumer will only let as many of those vote for a gun bill as uh, as he can can get away with and right. still win. Right. The last time this bill came out to in, in the Senate, uh, we had two Republican defectors, and um, the the Democrats ran it all the way up. So that we actually lost the vote by two votes, right. and it was a very brilliant move because it, it ended up that uh, the the two Republicans got all of the blame, and uh, a lot of Democrats, and one in particular, prior out of Arkansas at that time, uh, switched his vote from a no to a yes in order to to be able to keep claiming that he right. was pro gun. But as, as well uh, as he get was only re-elected. able to do that because the Republicans defected. Right. As well as get reelected. You know, that I, right. I understand the part about letting uh, Schumer letting some of the uh, Republicans vote or Democrats vote because those are people in, in gun friendly states that they need the vote in order to continue. And uh, right. if, if they vote against it then that's a, a vote against them. So we're facing uh, tough odds in the Senate uh, you you think the odds are are very well against us, or just a little bit against us? I, I think it's virtually impossible in the Senate because okay. we would have to get sixty votes to get it to get cloture. Right. Uh, there's no question that that uh, Schumer is going to filibuster it or have one of his people filibuster it, and uh, we we would have to get sixty votes in order to to uh, get the actual bill to a vote. And uh, I, I don't see those 60 votes coming from anywhere. Yeah. But one of the things that, that just drives me crazy, and I'm glad that finally it's moving in the House. Hang yeah, on just a second. Let's, let, let's start that, Terry, in just a minute. We need to take a quick break here. I want to remind you, go to georgiacarry.org, our website. You can find out everything we've done. You can follow us at georgiacarry on Twitter. I'm at gotyourback64. You can download the commercial-free podcast here at newstalk1160.com, and we will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. 
Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour. I'm Jerry Henry once again with Jeff Knox, a good friend from uh, Buckeye, Arizona, at uh, the uh, Director of Firearms Coalition. And before our break, we were talking about uh, the uh, Chuck Schumer and what he was going to do with the uh, National Reciprocity Bill. And you had uh, mentioned something about the uh, the Las Vegas murderer. And uh, I was afraid if we went very far into that, we'd we'd still be talking, wouldn't get our commercial break in. So, uh, where where were we <laughs> headed there? Pay the bills, Jerry. <laughs> That's right. Pay the bills. <laughs> sure do. And, and absolutely, the um, after the Las Vegas shooting, uh, there was a lot of talk about legislation in the in the House and Senate, and Chuck Schumer basically came out and said, "No, we are not going to address that this year. We've got an election coming up, and right. we don't." need to put our members at greater risk right. by making them vote on a gun bill. Right. And what's really clear is that Chuck Schumer understands that when Democrats have to vote, when the Senate has to vote on a gun bill, it hurts the Democrats and it helps the Republicans. Right. But what I don't understand is why Mitch McConnell hasn't figured that out and isn't pushing for these votes on gun bills in the Senate so that we have the hard votes to hold against these guys and, and know who is pro-gun and who is faux-gun in the U.S. Senate. And uh, thankfully, we're going to have those votes in the House to a degree because these guys are slick. If they know that they can't win, they'll vote with oh, yeah. the, the winning side. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I really, at this point, Jerry, I don't see any way that we're going to uh, to win a reciprocity vote in the Senate. Uh, but we need to keep hammering them. Sure. Folks, call call your senators and tell them that you to, to get reciprocity on the floor and you want straight up and down votes, whether it's a cloture vote or whether it's a, a vote on the bill itself. Uh, I don't see the the vote on the bill itself coming, but but we've got to get that cloture vote, that vote to bring the bill to the mm-hmm. floor, and uh, and that's the next step that that uh, is really the giant hurdle. And as far as I'm concerned, the big thing that that will give us is the vote count, so that we have something to base our voting on going forward, and and that's really important. Um, in 2018, if the Republicans lose the House. Not only do we lose the possibility of national reciprocity in the near future, we also lose the Supreme Court right. forever. Right, right. That's that's the reality of it, and and that segues in to the next thing we're going to talk about. You want to set me up, Jerry? <laughs> well, I just uh, we, we will a little bit. One of the things I was going to say though about uh, Mitch McConnell is, uh, you know, it, it's pretty obvious to me that that uh, Mitch is not. Uh, well, he's he's a rhino as far as I'm concerned. He's not very conservative on gun rights or anything else. If he was, he wouldn't be pushing so hard against Roy Moore. Now, regardless what you think about Roy Moore, uh, you know, the only thing that have come forth are allegations. But he is a pro-gun uh, guy. And, and uh, before any of these things came forward, Mitch McConnell was doing his best to keep Roy Moore from being elected down there in Alabama. So I don't know that that Mitch. I think Mitch may know what uh, what you were talking about, how much power uh, we could have, but I don't think he wants to use it. Yeah, um, and the Roy Moore thing—that's a, a really difficult situation. I, sure uh, <clears throat> frankly, I think that the the allegations against him are credible, 
Um, I've looked at it. I've looked at the claims of, of the forgery and, and all of this stuff. And, and quite frankly, I believe that these are credible allegations. And if we were talking about a Democrat with these types of allegations, the Republicans would be up in arms and, and, uh, you know, just we would be we would be crazy at, at uh, accusing the Democrats right. of of not holding a standard. And I think that the this the sad thing is that both sides on this are not holding any kind of real standards. Right. And um, and I'm not happy about the situation that the voters in in Alabama have uh, find themselves in right now. Um, there's a lot about Roy Moore that I really like. Right. There are some things that I have always had trouble with right. uh, regarding him. Right. But what, were I a voter in Alabama, I think that I would have to vote for Roy Moore um, because the Senate is so important right. and we can't afford to lose that seat. Uh, frankly, my, my personal preference would be that that uh, after he's elected, that Mr. Moore would step down and and they would name someone else right. for that seat. Right. But uh, but I, 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 in any case, as a single issue advocate, I cannot uh, any other option than to vote for for Roy Moore, no matter right. how you feel about him or what you think about him personally. Um, his politics for the last 25, 30 years have have been solid conservative right. uh pro rights and uh that's that's what we absolutely need in the senate right now i agree with that uh, well let's see where we were headed was basically uh to the supreme court um you talked about we would lose the supreme court but i'm not sure we have the supreme court right now i mean we're supposed to by the by the makeup of the supreme court but uh Tell us about the decisions that have been made here short, uh, in the last uh, week or so that, that have affected the well, uh, Second Amendment or refused to affect the Second Amendment. And this is something that, that I've been saying, we've been saying at the Firearms Coalition for a long time, is that even before Antonin Scalia passed away, um, we did not have the Supreme Court. We... we uh, I, I frankly, I was stunned with the Heller decision uh, that that there were justices on the Supreme Court that were willing to engage in such mental gymnastics to to twist the Second Amendment to not mean what it absolutely right. clearly means, straight language historically, etc. Um, and I realized at that point that. Um, that we barely got that vote. And one of the things that got us that vote, there was a lot of concern, obviously, among some of the, the justices about a, a positive result in Heller opening the door to um, arguments against the National Firearms Act. Right. That, that they were afraid that if they, they reversed Heller and, or that if Heller won, that the National Firearms Act would be in jeopardy and um, we would have machine guns flooding the streets. And to alleviate that fear, one of the things that Scalia did 
was he included in the the discussion in the the Heller decision some talk about what the Second Amendment means and a lot of historical stuff. But one of the points that he tried to make was uh, the idea of um, in common use right. that that the Second Amendment protects firearms that a militia member would would likely own and would be able to use in the militia. And and he used that term in common use. And as a a descriptor in that, he said something to the effect of, you know, but if you say that it's okay to ban guns like M16s that are most useful in military service, well, isn't that detaching the main clause from the prefatory clause and the whole militia thing from from the Second Amendment? And wouldn't that be wrong? And he goes on to say, well, no, because we're talking about in common use and guns like M-16s aren't in common use. Mm -hmm. Well, the Fourth Circuit, in a case out of Maryland, took that that little bit of dicta, that, that commentary that's not part of the actual holding, but just a description that goes around the holding, and they took that, that little piece of dicta, and what they interpreted that to mean was that any gun that is of a design similar to an M16 right. that is most useful in military service is not covered by the Second Amendment. And that is an absolutely backwards right. and, and totally false description of what Justice Scalia was saying, right. which I think was very thin to begin with. Mm -hmm. But uh, but but they, I, I'm just stunned that the that the Supreme Court allowed that to stand. This is this is worse than what was done with the Miller case. And it, and the Miller case, they took a little piece of dicta and they used that as the foundation of the whole concept of a collective right. Right. And and that pervaded in the court for the next. 30, 40 years, and uh, we finally demolished that with Heller, right. and now they're taking this and saying that, oh no, anything that looks or functions similar to a military weapon, anything that would be useful in the militia, isn't covered by the Second right. Amendment, and that's just absolute hogwash, right. and right. I can't believe that these justices allowed that to happen. Okay, hold that thought a minute. It's time to, to, All right. to do our thing one more time. GeorgiaCarry.org, our website. You can download the uh, commercial-free podcast here at Newstalk1160.com, and we will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's executive director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour. Jerry Henry with Jeff Knox. Uh, we're having a very good uh, discussion, and uh, sorry we had to cut you off there at the at the commercial break there, but let's go back to where we were. We were saying basically that the Supreme Court's lack of, of taking up the uh, Maryland case has now basically affirmed that, uh, at least in that district or in those districts, that um, – semi-automatic weapons are not protected by the Second Amendment. Is that correct? Right, and that's that's basically what the decision said. Um, 
and and it was clearly a a distortion of Justice Scalia's dicta in in that case, and this brings us right back to the importance of the Senate, because as I said, starting out the last segment, the um, the Supreme Court, while while some want to to say that well it's a four four balance with then Kennedy mm-hmm. floating as as the swing vote. When it comes to guns, that's absolutely not true. Right. It has always been sort of a two, sometimes three, uh, pro-gun, pro-Constitution, pro-Second Amendment, and then uh, four solid votes against the Second Amendment, and two sort of wishy votes, squishy right. votes. And those two squishy votes are... Justice Roberts and Justice Kennedy. Hmm. Uh, well, Kennedy's not going to be Roberts, there much longer, as you know, but Roberts will probably be there for many, many, many years. And and one of the big things about Justice Roberts is it's, it's he is very dedicated to the idea of not rocking the boat. Right. And and uh, while. Uh, I have a hard time wrapping my head around Roberts sometimes, but but um, he he doesn't want to rock the boat. And what they're doing by refusing to hear these cases, and until Gorsuch got on the court, not hearing these cases made sense. Now, with Gorsuch on the court, um, you've got Thomas and Gorsuch and Alito are are pretty well solid Second Amendment votes. Kennedy, you can't bet on, and Roberts doesn't want to rock the boat. Right. On the other side, you've got Breyer and Ginsburg, uh, and, and uh, Sotomayor and uh, Kagan that that are absolutely positively going to vote against guns any opportunity they right. have for any made up reason that they want to make up. Right. And and here's what it is. We couldn't have gotten Gorsuch on the court if we hadn't. Well, they probably could have done something else, but but we barely got Gorsuch on the court, and that's with a Republican majority in place. Right. This made just all of his judge appointments at the federal level. All of his judge appointments have been stellar. Uh, I think that Gorsuch was a great pick, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm pretty confident that. Uh, that Trump has a great team of people who are are helping him pick these judges, and that if he gets the opportunity, he's going to name somebody really stellar to the court. Right. But if the Republicans don't have the majority, and even if it's only a one-vote majority, if the Republicans don't have the majority, when the next Supreme Court nomination comes up, we will not get that nomination. Right. We won't get it. The The Democrats will do what the Republicans did last year. They, they will just simply block it. They won't allow they won't allow Donald Trump's uh, nominee to be seated on the Supreme Court positively. Absolutely. They're, they're simply going to stonewall it if if they have the majority, and they will have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that we can do if they do that, if they have the majority. So 
really, I can't stress this enough. If we don't maintain a Republican majority in the United States Senate, all of those good judge appointments are going to simply go out the window right. and the Supreme Court and all of those appellate court judges and district court judges uh, appointments. We're not going to have them. Yeah. Uh, Schumer will block them and won't let them come to a vote unless uh, unless Trump does what Jerry Ford did when he nominated uh, 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 Justice Stevens to the Supreme Court. And Justice Stevens was, uh, of course, the one who wrote the, the major dissent in the Heller case. Right. And he was a, a Jerry Ford appointee. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, unless Trump wants to start appointing liberal Democrat anti-gun uh, lawyers to, to the Supreme Court, he won't get any Supreme Court uh, appointments right. for the rest of his term, right. even if he gets elected to a second term. I, I guarantee it. Schumer will not allow it to happen. Well, it's unfortunate. I agree with you. That's uh, that's what will happen. And uh, you know, we're, we're we're once again basically our Second Amendment rights are hanging by a thread. Uh, they've been that way for a long time, which is one of the reasons that that there wasn't a whole lot done before the the Heller case was brought. Uh, there were a lot of people that were concerned with Heller that just as you said, you were you were kind of floored with the decision. There were a lot of people that figured we were going to lose that, and it would cost us more than than. Uh, than what we could ever gain. So, well, and, and and one of the really important things, though, is to keep it in perspective. And, and while I think that it's really critical that we hold the Senate and that we get good justices on the Supreme Court, um, losing is is not the end of the world. Um, I, I've heard a lot of people talking about, well, if if uh, the, the Supreme Court came up with some negative decisions that it would be time to lock and load and, and yeah. march on Washington. Yeah. I don't and, believe that. And so, and, and I don't either. Uh, we have to remember that from about 1940, 42 on through the 1970s, the, the Second Amendment was from a, a the judiciary standpoint, uh, a dead letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not used to protect our rights. It, it They thought that it was obsolete and extinct, and it wasn't until a, a bright young lawyer uh, in Arizona named mm-hmm. David Hardy wrote a little paper for his law review journal uh, and and did some research, and he said, wait a minute, this doesn't say what my law professor told me it says. And he did some really good research, and it, funny truth, he sent that that article to the editor of Rifle and Handloader magazine. Mm-hmm. I think he was seeking to have it published in the magazines, but uh, the editor looked at it, blue marked it up, and mailed it back to him, uh, and that editor was my father. Yes. And so, I kind of saw that Dave, one coming. <laughs> yeah, Dave eventually got that uh, got that piece published in a journal, and other researchers and and historians looked at it and said, "Wait, this is an interesting concept. Let's look closer at this." And so you had guys like Don Cates and mm-hmm. 
others, and Kate's finally got one in the Michigan Law Review. That got picked up by Sanford Levinson in Texas, and he got uh, wrote a piece called The Embarrassing Second Amendment, because Levinson is a, a very liberal judge uh, or uh, lawyer, and, and he, he thought, you know, wow, oh no, the Second Amendment actually does mean what the crazies say it means, right. so and it's a do? problem. And he wrote it in the, uh, I think it was the either the Hale, Yale or Harvard Law Review, and that really turned everything over and started laying the the groundwork for the Heller decision. And uh, so it's, but the point being that we lived for a couple of decades without the backup of right. the Second Amendment protecting our rights. It, it really comes down to what the legislature does, what the Senate and the House do, right. and we have to to keep focused on that, and the state houses. And right now, Bloomberg's spending a whole lot of money sure in state is. houses buying votes he and trying is. to undermine our rights state by state. You're exactly right on that one. Hey, um, also, you were talking about we spent two decades. We also spent uh, the better part of a decade, about eight years, well, at least four years of the Obama administration when they had the power to do whatever they wanted to as far as passing legislation concerning gun bills, and that didn't happen. So They had the power you know, potentially. They but, had, but well, we have they had the numbers. Right. They had the numbers. Uh, right. And, but you're right. But if you, if you go by sheer numbers, they had the numbers to do it, and they didn't even try it. So, you know, we may not be, uh, you know, the, the sky may not be falling as hard as we sometimes think that it might be falling. It's, uh, right. you know, you got to, there it seems like no matter what happens, the sun always shines out there the next day or so. So uh, I'm, I'm like you. I don't think it's time to start picking up arms and start uh, start trying to say, here comes the, the next revolution or the second revolution or whichever revolution it might be. I'm uh, going to have to take a little break here. I want to remind you one more time, go to georgiacarry.org, our website. You can find out everything you want to know about georgiacarry.org. You can sign up. You can renew your membership. You can uh, see everything that we've ever posted on any lawsuits or what have you. You can follow me at, or you can follow Georgia Carry at Georgia Carry on Twitter. I'm at gotyourback 64 You can download the commercial-free podcast there as well as at newstalk1160.com, and we will be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's executive director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio hour. Uh, we're here with uh, Jeff Knox, from the director of Firearms Coalition, and we've been having a very good discussion so far about uh, the Supreme Court and what's happened and, and where we, we see that we might be headed. There was another... Um, case that the Supreme Court refused to take up as well in uh, Florida this last week. And uh, that uh, that's another thing that, that was really, it really chaps me because I openly carry all the time anyway, or most of the time. And now uh, tell us about this, uh, this lack of a decision in Florida. Well, the Florida decision is also very bizarre. Um, because it, it came up through the, the Florida courts and um, uh, the Florida Supreme Court. And here's the situation in Florida. The Supreme Court, Florida has a good equivalent to the Second Amendment in their state constitution, but um, 
and several years ago, the Supreme Court declared flat out in Florida that uh, the carry of a firearm outside the home for personal defense was a right, that, that that's unquestionable, it's a right. They also clearly have the jurisprudence out there that, that says that um, carrying concealed is a privilege. You have to get your permit, and, mm-hmm. and it's a privilege to do that. Well, now what they've created is a situation where the only way you can exercise your right to carry a gun is by doing it, getting the privilege mm-hmm. from the state and following those those rules. Mm-hmm. And in the, the particular case, this guy jumped through the hoops. He paid paid the the uh, fees. He he did the training and he got his carry permit in Florida. And the day he got his permit, he strapped on his gun and pulled his T-shirt down over it and went for a walk down the street. The gun became visible. The T-shirt wasn't very good cover for it. Mm -hmm. The gun became visible. Cops slammed in on the guy, threw him to the ground, handcuffed him, and arrested him. And... uh, he ended up, it, it was a $300 fine. I, I have to, and I mentioned this in my article at, at Amoland, I, I have to think that um, there was probably a racial component mm. in this, mm-hmm. because realistically, I, I've carried openly a lot in a lot of places, and I've occasionally gotten a raised eyebrow. I've occasionally had interactions with the police, and uh, it's always been polite. And, right. And Same calm. here. Same here. But I'm not a young black man wearing somewhat ratty clothes, right. and uh, this young man was. And uh, I, I can't imagine, ha- had he been a, a young white fellow wearing dockers and a polo shirt, that he would have been thrown to the ground right. and, and arrested in this case. I, I think that it would be much more likely that the police would have said, oh, excuse me, sir, right. do you have a permit to carry that, and do you realize that it's exposed and that that's illegal? Right. Well, you need to cover it up. Right. But uh, instead, they, they arrested him, and um, I don't know how much time he actually spent in jail, but had a $300 fine. He fought it on, on uh, both uh, Second Amendment and state constitution grounds, and and he lost on on all of those grounds, mm-hmm. and so it's it's astounding to me. It's just astounding to me that the Supreme Court is unwilling to address these these issues and and right these wrongs uh, that are clearly absolutely wrong. But well, uh, on agree. it goes. <clears throat> I agree, and like I said, that's not the first time that. Or like you said, that's not the first time it's happened. We've we've seen those things, especially in the in the uh, uh, circuit courts. Uh, we've seen that ni- time and time again. But normally, I would say mostly normally, seems like when there's a something that's that uh, egregious against the Second Amendment, the Supreme Court would take care of the matter. But they don't even want to listen to it. It's it's almost like. Uh-huh. Uh, 
uh, you know, don't don't bring any more Second Amendment to us. We don't we don't care. We just just leave leave it to the states and and y'all decide what you want to do. And and when the appeals courts get to it, uh, whatever they say stands. And, and that's just totally other, wrong. Here's, right. Here's the other real danger with this, uh, Jerry, is that, um, a, as I said, Justice Chief Justice Roberts is very concerned about shaking up the courts and rocking the boat. Right. And um, as they have allowed case after case after case to uh, be decided at the circuit court level and not be reviewed by the Supreme Court, it's setting bad precedent. That's correct. And that precedent gets gets quoted and passed around mm-hmm. for them now to allow a case that is abusing a previous Supreme Court decision, just completely abusing right. it. Right. Um, it is it, it and these cases to go forward from here based on that precedent that creates a a bigger backlog of bad precedent that when the Supreme Court does finally address this again, right. it will it will have to rock the boat dramatically. Right. Because the more of this crap they allowed to build up, the bigger the boat rock when they fix it, if they ever do. Yeah. And and so that's that again, a really bad bad situation. And I wanna be sure that um People know where they can find me. Uh, firearmscoalition.org is my my website. It's a little bit out of date. We've been having some problems with it, but we're working on getting that fixed. But mm-hmm. you can go to Ammoland, Ammoland.com. Uh, I have a new column there every week, and uh, you can can go and check there. If you scroll to the bottom of the page on Ammoland, and you'll find my name down there at the bottom of the page. Click on it, and there are years worth of archives of, of articles I've written right. on just about every subject you can imagine uh, on gun rights, and uh, that's a good place to find me. Also, Firearms um, used to be Shotgun News. Now it's Firearms News, and uh, I, we've been, the Knox Report has been in Firearms News for almost 30 years, mm-hmm. and or something like 30 years, and and. That's not changing anytime soon. So uh, you can check me out there, and uh, and for a little also bit. Also of- on Facebook, uh, just do Firearms Coalition. Right. If you put in, if you Google Knox and Guns, you're going to find me or my dad. Right. And uh, the uh, the book got to plug the book. Well, that's what I was going to do Knox, next. <laughs> Gun Rights War. <laughs> that's what I was going to do next. Dad, I have a copy of that, and it it's well worth your read. It it tells you a lot of things that you probably did not know. Yeah, there, there's a lot of history there. Dad, uh, as you mentioned, he was he was writing about gun rights back in the '60s, and uh, there's some of those articles are included in the book. And uh, my brother did a great job of mm-hmm. putting this together. It's a compilation of of a lot of dads over 40 years in the trenches, and uh, uh, we we really uh, encourage you to get a copy and. And read it. You can find that on Amazon right. or at our website at firearmscoalition.org dot um, org or neilnox.com for right. that matter. Right. So, a lot of places to find us. Check me out on Facebook. Send me a note. Um, we have both a, a firearms coalition page on Facebook and my personal right. page on Facebook, and uh, uh, and a couple of others. So, 
if you if you want to find me, you can find me, and uh, I I hope you will find that it's worth your while to do so. Well, I, I can tell you that it, it will be worth everybody's while, as, as far as I'm concerned, especially. Uh, the thing of it is, is, as you and I discussed when I asked you to be on the program, is we deal basically here in Georgia. We don't go uh, lobbying at the at the uh, federal level, et cetera. And we have to pick up our information from various sources uh, when we really need to get our members to push for a bill, et cetera, because we just don't – that's not our, our bag. Uh, it's very important to us, but it's not what we are, are uh, set up to do. We're set up to, to work here in Georgia. And uh, so the reason that I wanted you on is for people to hear you and people to see uh, what kind of information is available to uh, firearms enthusiasts and, and uh, Second Amendment supporters, uh, grassroots, anybody, the, the people that are actually out in the trenches. Well, and that's one of our, our goals and objectives in in the Firearms Coalition is to be sure that 47. groups like Georgia Carey have a voice at the federal level. And you've done it in the past, Jerry, signed on to a letter that, uh, that we've put to Congress. Right. Uh, and that, that helps us out and helps you out, gives your organization a, a, a national voice. And let's face it, there's a lot of bad information out there uh, a lot of bad information out on the internet, and right. there are groups that aren't always doing what they really That's need correct. to be doing to fight for your rights. Yeah, and exactly. we try and fill that gap and make sure that you've got a voice and that the truth is getting out there. And, that's correct. And that's our mission, and that's what we do. And you do a good job of it. I want to thank you, Jeff, for being on. We've come down to the end of the program. I want to thank you for being on here. We'll have you back again. We'll discuss more. Uh, remind everybody, go to georgiacurry.org, our website. You can join. You can renew whatever you need to do. Uh, follow us at uh, at Georgia Carry on Twitter. I'm at GotYourBack64, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio, hosted by Georgia Carry's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Join us each week for information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Saturday mornings at 8 only on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.